0: This is In The Trenches, Broadcast 23.
1: Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile. Build something bold and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Moulis.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of in the trenches. I'm excited to have on the show today, Cheryl Woodhouse. Cheryl is part of the resistance, and she actually reached out to me recently to uh, share with me a book she had written called "Start Something: A Step-by-Step Guide to a Successful Business," and. While the name is pretty self-explanatory, what it's about, uh, jumping into it, I was just blown away by it. I thought it was an incredible resource. It was succinct but powerful, and it said all the things that I think a lot of people are kind of scared to say in business when it comes to actually uh, creating something the right way. So I, was, I, I immediately responded back that I'd love to have uh, have Cheryl on the show with us today. Send her an email. And she responded back, uh, you know, graciously and generously. She she would. So we have Cheryl Woodhouse on the show with us today, a brand builder, startup mentor, and entrepreneur. Cheryl, thank you so much for being on the show with us today.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Tom. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So let's start by getting to know you a bit better and uh, tell us the uh, t- tell the audience um, a little bit about yourself and what got you started in this this line of business and and what brought you to. Creating this book, start something,
2: okay, well, it all started actually about ten years ago, um, and I had been doing some work in sales and found that I was really good at it, but it wasn't just the thing that i I really loved. it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and I'd always had a love for writing, so I started to get into copywriting, which is as you probably know, it's basically sales in print and mm. um I did pretty well with that for a few years, but working with a few clients, I would pick up more and more on how their businesses worked and how marketing worked, and the way that the pieces that I was writing were actually being used in their businesses. And so I started to get more into more and more into the marketing consulting and strategy side, and less into actually doing the the copy. Um, a couple of years ago, I actually was hired as a marketing executive at a startup company in the United States, and I worked for them on contract um, for a full year and did a lot of amazing things. Learned a lot about how bigger corporations have a tendency to work because there were a lot around this particular company. But through all that, you know, there was this knowledge inside of me that was building and building, and this message that I wanted to get out there about a different way of doing business and less about. Broadcasting what it is that you have to offer, and expecting everyone to be the path to your door, um, less about generating revenue and profit and take 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 like some of the traditional business mentality has been, and more about just figuring out what it is you want to give people and finding the fastest path to do that. And then building a supportive group of people around you who want that and can share it with others. And that's how you would build a successful business. And I kept seeing evidence of this in the startup companies that were around me working with this, this corporation. And uh, I finally decided to just take the leap and started working with some private clients, feeling this whole thing out with them and how it was working for them. And, and they just kept seeing incredible results, not just businesses growing quickly and actually starting up, in 30 days rather than 6 to 12 months but they were happy they weren't overwhelmed or stressed or you know doing parts of their their job and their business every day that they just hated which i was so used to seeing with some of the companies that i worked with before and i finally decided to just jump head on into it and i wrote the book Took me about sixty days to finish from start to finish. Get all the ideas out there, and I put it out there, and the response has just been so overwhelming.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's uh, I, I really enjoyed it, so it doesn't surprise me that the response was was positive. So, tell me, um, you'd you mentioned something in in that comment about the idea, I, I, and it, tell me if I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, but if I get this right, the idea that really you think that. The way to do business isn't to focus on say profit per se, um, but to focus on um, the the idea of finding something finding ways to give uh, give to the consumer. Is that about right or did I did I misinterpret that? Can you explain that?
2: That, that's pretty close, but a lot of people actually are, are spreading that kind of message. A lot of people are spreading the the give first, don't focus on profit so much sort of message. And I, I still have a background in sales and in copywriting mm-hmm. and in business, and I can't not focus on profit. Profit has to be there for a company to continue to exist. Otherwise, you basically have a charity, right? Yeah. So what I encourage people to focus on isn't necessarily just Giving and giving and giving, what I encourage people to focus on is what it is that they want to create for people, the outcome, the result that they want to deliver for people. And then giving them ways to purchase access to a small portion of that, purchase a way to remove an obstacle from from achieving that result. And in that way, you're able to sustain the business so that you can help even mm-hmm. more people achieve that result you're able to profit, they're able to achieve the outcome that they want to achieve, everybody wins. And it's done a lot through things like strategic partnerships and, and content and education rather than traditional broadcasts. So it keeps a little bit more of your, your cash flow in the reserves for the profit side of things, too.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, let's dig into this. I like this. Um, so you you mentioned... Thinking about the, the the end state solution that you want to create for people, and again, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm saying something correct, or if I'm I'm overgeneralizing, correct me, please. But so that's what you said. Focus on, or or the idea is, you know, I'm I'm a new entrepreneur, I'm I'm looking to get started, or or you know, writer, artist, whatever, and I'm looking at the market, and I'm saying to myself, okay, I should, you know, I I want to look at the the end state solution that I want to create for people, and then find ways that they can pay me for it. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. or is Okay, is the, and so is that the first step then? So what is the first step, I guess, for, for a new entrepreneur? Is it to find that end state? How do they? So how do they do that?
2: Now, that's definitely the first step. And I know a lot of people who come to me, they come to me kind of with a business idea already. Um, mm-hmm. I want to create a website that does X, Y, and Z, or I want to build this product because they're an inventor of some sort and things like that. And that's actually probably about the third or fourth step down the road, the first step is figuring out what it is you want to create for people. And there's a few different tools that I use to help people do that. But the number one, and it's actually right in the book, uh, is just to ask yourself the question, if you could do one thing for a group of one million people, specific group of people, what would that be? And so for some people, it's things like, you know, I want to help divorced women to, to lose weight and feel better about themselves. Or um, I want to help people who are struggling with business to, to grow bigger, those sorts of things. You want to hone in on as specific of a result that you can sell as humanly possible, because then people will really say, that's for me, that's what I want. And you'll be able to help more people with that.
0: Sure. So I, I, before we move on with this, because I'm curious about this part, because I think the start is where so many people struggle, or they might start with an idea. Like you mentioned, they come, come with this idea of, well, I've got this, this business or I've got this idea for a website. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of jumped over this initial step of the the problem solving and the solution, the actual um, the actual cure that they're providing to somebody's problem, mm-hmm. or, or or however you want to you know frame that. But I'm curious, and, and you might be familiar with this: uh, the lean startup methodology, or you know the concept of identifying a problem in the marketplace and then mm-hmm. figuring out a solution that can fix. It. Is that do you subscribe to that model, or because I guess I'm I'm curious, how do you figure out like, what solution you want to create? Right.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's coming into the next steps. Once you know what it is that you want to solve, basically the problem you want to solve, the result or the outcome that you're selling, you have to figure out how to actually turn that into a business instead of just a wish or a thought. And Mm -hmm. so what you have to do is you actually have to figure out what the obstacles are to achieving that, right? So uh, one of my clients, for example, uh, she was working with, Moms, working moms, who wanted to get in shape and eat better, feel better about themselves, etc. And she wasn't sure how to really position that initial offering. And so we came up with a list of different obstacles that a working mom would have on her journey to lose weight, be healthier, eat better, feel better about herself. And the number one that came up repetitively was time. She did not have enough time. So what my client ended up doing was actually creating a three-minute workout that could be fit in the car, it could be fit in the office, could be fit in after the kids go to bed, before cleaning up the house, whatever it happens to be, and she began sharing that as her initial offering. And again, prescribing to the lean startup strategy where you basically take this and you create the minimum viable product, this is your initial offering. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be what you see your business producing in 10 years. It just has to be something that removes that first obstacle. And what she saw was that people really resonated with this. Not only did they resonate with it for themselves and start, you know, subscribing to her mailing list and interacting with her, they actually began sharing it with other people in their circles. So it had a virality element to it because it had such value. So, that's the sort of thing that you want to aim for. You you establish what the outcome is, then you figure out what the obstacles are, for the people you want to have that outcome, and your initial offering is something that helps them tackle that, helps remove that for them.
0: Okay, it's great. So I'm going to take a step back and make sure that I've got it clear. And so the first first step is to identify the outcome you want to create. The second step mm-hmm. is identifying the obstacles. Uh, that that get in the way of that, and figuring out a solution of, of how to get through those, and then the third step is creating the minimal viable product. Is that correct? exactly? Yeah. So what's step four? What do we do after that once we have the minimal viable product?
2: Step four is actually putting it out there. Step four is okay. getting people to pay attention to it. Um, this is where a lot of people get stopped. Actually, this is a, you're familiar with the term, I know, Tom, but. Uh, this is where the dragon shows up and Mm -hmm. all of the fear and apprehension that comes with putting yourself out there. It has a tendency to hold people back. And that's why perfecting their initial offering becomes such a trap because they'll go back and say, it's not quite right. I have to do it again before I can put it out there. So, I mean, in the book, there are actually a few different techniques to kind of overcome that fear and stop the procrastination. But the number one way, the best way, to tackle that kind of fear is just to go out there and do it anyway. That's the only way that you're going to get past it. All the different methods in the world that you can find to break down that fear. All of us don't want to feel that. Every entrepreneur doesn't want to feel that fear. It's easier to move forward without feeling that fear. But if the fear's not there, that's when something's actually wrong because it means you're not doing something big enough or challenging enough to actually make a big splash or, or generate some real difference in the world or stretch yourself beyond your comfort zone.
0: Mm-hmm. So practically speaking, I completely agree, by the way, and I, I, I see that all the time, even in myself, but also with with other entrepreneurs and artists that I, uh, I interact with, is that hesitation to put something out there, especially if it's new. And so if you're a creator mm-hmm. and you're constantly pushing the boundaries and constantly creating new things, I'm not sure if that unease... Um, Effort goes away, at least maybe not yeah. for me. But I think you just learned to deal with it. But I'm curious. So, so that's you know getting you know putting your MVP, your minimal viable product, getting out there in the world. Practically speaking, how do you do that? What do you suggest to people to do that?
2: Well, initially, I just suggested you know finding whatever ways your ideal customers were there. You could reach out to them and and just putting it there and seeing what happened. What I found was that a lot of people, they were already kind of doing that and they were either playing too small of a game. So they were, you know, one-on-one handing off their minimum viable product to people uh, rather than trying to gain access to a larger audience. Or they were trying to do 30 different things at once and not really sticking with any one of them long enough to see any real results. So... I'm sure you know that's a problem that you can relate to. It's one that I can relate to as well. Mm. Um, so what I have actually done is I've basically broken down the marketing system into kind of a distribution strategy, similar to what you would see in channel management for physical products. Um, and so what you do is you actually outline all the different ways, all the different distribution channels, for your initial offerings, this would be marketing methods basically, that you could use to reach your ideal target audience, the people that you really want to help with this, preferably where they're already looking for information on how to get the result that you're selling. And then the very first thing that you do is you strike off all of the ones that don't allow you to create that result in some way. So if it doesn't allow you to interact with your with your potential clients at all and you have a service-based offering, strike it off the list. If you have a product-based offering and it doesn't offer you any way to demonstrate the product, get their physical hands on the product, those sorts of things, strike it off the list. You want to really focus on ways that you can expose this initial offering to them very well. Okay? Mm-hmm you will probably still be left with plenty of different options to choose from. And this is where you actually have to be honest with yourself and you have to look at the things that you're actually going to enjoy and stick to. If anything on that list feels like absolute agony, take it off the list. Even if you think that's going to be the thing that will catapult your business to incredible levels of success, don't do it. If it doesn't feel like something that you'll enjoy, Because you probably won't end up sticking with it anyway. And you won't get the results from it. It'll be wasted time. What you want to do is continue narrowing everything down as far as you can. And then if you still have more than five different marketing methods on this list, you want to order them in terms of the things that you will enjoy doing the most to the things that you'll enjoy doing the least. Then everything after number five gets dropped. You choose Five different marketing methods, marketing distribution channels that you use to get your initial offering out there. Then, to keep you even more focused, you basically want to create a spreadsheet with this. And across the top of the spreadsheet, you'll put the five different marketing distribution channels. And then you'll want to list specific points within these channels that you can reach out to to access your audience. Okay? So an example of a marketing distribution channel might be you want to use publicity. You enjoy talking with journalists your product can be demonstrated or your service can be demonstrated in a certain way through the media. You want to use publicity. You would actually create a list of the top 10 places you want to reach out to for PR coverage so that you could stay focused on those that are best aligned with the outcome that you're creating that you would really enjoy working with and, and not just dance all over the place and, and email anyone who looks like they might be a
0: fit, right? Yeah, this, this you focus it on those those group that you've selected and and then how do you engage them
2: well it really depends on the channel that you've chosen like publicity you have to take a very relationship-based approach obviously um you have to kind of introduce yourself compliment them a little bit massage the relationship until you have a good enough rapport that you can introduce what you do and offer your expertise up for for some of the publicity other things are a little bit easier if you happen to love numbers, love analyzing things like metrics, and pay per click is just one of those things you really want to do, then you look at a few different channels you want to use for pay per click marketing, and you just go out and implement.
0: So, at this point in in this this framework, how much time do you think from you know the, from step one to to putting your MVP out there and, and establishing these marketing channels? how much time is that for the average person? I, I suppose it depends on, on what the, the offer is, but do you have any generalities in terms of how much time somebody should be putting into this process before uh, before it's been validated?
2: Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. That's the entire point of doing it this way is to get it out there to get it validated before putting okay. months or years into building a business uh, sure. without knowing if it's going to work, right? So I recommend that most people put two to three weeks, maybe even 30 days at most into it if it's a really intricate initial offering. Mm-hmm. But if you're spending anything more than, I'd say, two weeks on it, there's likely something that you're, you're procrastinating on, some sort of a block for you that's stopping you from just going as crazy as you can 24 hours a day, seven days a week to getting it out there.
0: So, so this is actually very a very rapid um, process. Essentially, I mean, 30 days, that's, that's a very quick, uh, it's, it's a, it's, that's a short amount of time for anybody that's tried creating anything, but I, which I think is a good thing, because uh, again, like you said, it doesn't, make, it doesn't help you to spend a ton of time building something that, uh, that nobody wants and uh, to get it validated as quickly as possible. So once you, once you actually have it out there, you've identified your channels, you've engaged with your, your target audience, I suppose, is probably the best way to put it, uh, mm-hmm. then what do you do? And so let, let, let's say it's, well, I guess there's two, there's two things that can happen, right? Either you get feedback that says this is a good solution or you get feedback that says this isn't a good solution. So what do you do in either case?
2: Basically, that feedback is going to come in the form of people either purchasing or signing up for whatever your initial offering, your minimum viable product is. If you get a good percentage of people taking you up on that, on that offer, you feel confident with the amount of people compared to the amount of of people that you've reached that have actually signed up for this or purchased this, then you would continue moving forward with the rest of the plan. And I'm going to discuss that in a minute. Um, If you don't get the kind of feedback that you want, then it's time to do some assessment and maybe do a bit of research with the people who did not take you up on that offer. Now, it's likely that if you're reaching out through a variety of different channels, you've had some one-on-one interactions with people who have said no. You'll want to find out from them why. Often, they're not going to give you perfect answers. They're not going to give you the exact reason because they're very individual. um, And sometimes people don't even really know the reason why they didn't take you up on something. But you want to focus in on whether it was the product itself uh, whether it was the result that you were offering. Maybe it's something that people aren't really that driven to achieve. Um, and also the targeting, the the specific people that you're trying to offer this to. You know, if you're if you're trying to offer, you know, chocolate to people who are lactose intolerant and milk chocolate is your initial offering, you're going to run into a lot of resistance on that. You need to make sure that what you're offering is the right fit for the result, the right fit for the target market. Um, and that it's a quality quality product as reasonably could be expected within that short time frame. So just some reassessment, reevaluation, and then going at it again, refine that outcome, refine that initial offering and, and try again through the same or different channels and see if you get a better result.
0: So then let's say you do get a positive response. so that that makes sense to me if if it's if it's negative or the feedback isn't, you know you put your, your you establish your hypothesis that says, this product will cure the solution, and this number, you know, and, and the, the target audience will um, will want it and pay this price. That's really what the hypo. To me, it's it, when I look at it, I'm like, that's a hypothesis, right? You, you know, you put your M- mm-hmm. MVP out there, your minimal viable product. You're offering it for sale or for somebody to subscribe or whatever it is your your goal is, and you hypothesize. You say, this is if I if I send this to this person, they will, you know, they will subscribe or they will pay. And so you either validate or you invalidate that hypothesis. So let's say it's validated. Let's say people buy it or they, they, they subscribe or whatever it is, the call to action that you're, you're looking to, to create, the, um, the result that you're looking to create happens. Then what do you do?
2: This is actually where the fun begins because now you know that you have a viable, a potentially viable business on your hands. And so now you get to start to grow it. The first thing that you do because you've likely built up an audience of at least a few hundred, if not a few thousand people getting this, uh, this initial offering out there. This part does take a little bit longer, by the way. Getting the initial offering out there and proving that its viability will usually take 30, 60, 90 days rather than the 30 days to get the, uh, the minimum viable product ready. But once you've done that and you've got a good audience space, you want to go back to them and ask them what other obstacles that they're facing to achieving the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. so it could be something again with this this client who was working um in weight loss and those sorts of things she conquered the time obstacle but then there was um there was more obstacles related to to time itself uh, mostly around you know rushing around and, and not being able to find the time to cook and so she was able to survey her entire subscriber database find out that a lot of people were sharing this the same issue the same obstacle to losing weight and feeling better about themselves and all of those things and so she was actually able to create a second product this time this was a paid product in her case her initial offering was uh, was a premium for subscribing the response that she got from this product that she created which was basically just kind of a how to guide on how to eat at you know fast food restaurants how to pack snacks quickly and have them be healthy, those sorts of things, how to eat on a run, essentially. Her response to that, she actually got about, let's say, 10% of her her list actually joining the program and and downloading Mm -hmm. everything and watching the videos. And she generated quite a substantial amount of revenue from that, enough to actually carry her business through the next three months while she continued to develop more partnerships and more products. So mm-hmm. it's just a continual iteration of it. You, know, you keep going back to, to your group, to your tribe that you've built, and asking them, you know, what more do you want? What more can I help you with? And building things that will help them with that. Now, if you have one physical product and you don't want to develop additional product lines, you start integrating features or supports into your physical product that helps them do those things. Mm-hmm. If you have... Information product business, you continue building more information products, perhaps start building group programs, those sorts of things, maybe one-on-one services at the higher level to really engage people and help them get past those obstacles, but it all comes back to getting as close as you can to delivering that outcome by asking people what's stopping them from having it right now. After that, it gets into all the fun stuff with uh, back-building the rest of the business. You start blogging to engage with your audience more. You continue marketing your initial offering because that's the way into your business. You start getting all formal. Get your business cards and your brochures and your logos done. And This is the point where you actually start to do the things that most people do at the very beginning. <laughs> now right. you actually do it once it's proven viable and you have products to sell.
0: Back up there a second. Um, and, and kind of go back to the, the, the portion between putting the MVP out there and then, and then s- the s- essentially scaling It's kind of how I, mm-hmm. I, I view your description there is when you begin to scale. Um, mm-hmm. When is a product or service actually validated? How many purchases do you need or how do you, is there a quantitative way to determine when you can validate a product or service?
2: For me, there is. For for a lot of people, it's kind of a judgment call. But for me, I actually do put a number on it. Um, and that number for me is 100. And the reason I say 100 is because with all of my, my private mentoring clients um, and in the next version of the book when it comes out, I actually recommend that for the first 100 people who take you up on your initial offering, whether it's free or paid, you have one-on-one conversations with them to to basically make that take place. You have a sales conversation with them um, over the phone, in person, whatever you can do. Actually speak with them so you can start to understand their motivations, their desires, their drive, um, the specific reasons they're wanting to take you up on your initial offering, what it's going to help them do. Because... Those one-on-one conversations are actually the things that are going to shape the languaging, the branding, the the domain names perhaps that you buy, the colors and, and schemes that you use with your business and your design. Um, that shapes everything that you do later. So having those essential conversations for the first 100 clients, you know, if it takes you 7,000 calls to get 100 people taking you up on your initial offering, that's probably still going to fall within the realm of not validated, mm. uh, just because of the sheer time expression it takes you to get to that point. You know, if you can get to your first 100 within a 1, thousand calls, you're actually doing pretty well. Um, and there's an evolution of it as it goes as well, which is really valuable.
0: We'll talk about that actually really quick, because I think I know what you mean, and I think what, what you're referring to is the evolution of of your pitch but but tell me how, how does it evolve
2: Well, in the beginning, everyone is always very feature focused uh, right. they're in love with their product and, and everything that they feel that it can do for people, and usually their conversion rate is a bit on the lower side, as a result, but through these conversations, if you actually have 100 conversations with people to buy your product, you're going to start to be able to consciously pick up on trends, different words that they use, different problems they describe, different objections they come up with to taking advantage of your initial offering, and you'll begin to tailor your pitch around overcoming those objections. You'll begin to target it towards the specific feelings and obstacles that your prospects have. And you'll really just get a sense for what your market actually wants to hear. And you'll be able to turn that into an effective pitch. Your conversion rate should be at least double at the end of this process is what it was in the beginning.
0: Right, because you continue to refine the message and you refine it by through these interactions. And you, you I, I guess in some ways, would you agree that you pick up the appropriate language, the appropriate wording, or you, you come to understand the problem that the that your client or 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 customer is having more more acutely. You understand it more particularly, and you can be more specific in your your wording and how you frame it for them. Is, does that um, add to the value of your offer too?
2: Oh, completely. Yeah, that's it has to be about those conversations because you know, again it just comes back to putting the cart before the horse and why this model is is so effective. A lot of people will go out there and they'll put up a sales letter using all that ineffective wording that we just mentioned that isn't aligned with the language or the wants, needs and objections of their actual target consumers. And it won't work as well. If you have those 100 conversations first, it actually can shape the language that you use on your sales letter to bring conversions through the roof and set you up to automate that sales process later.
0: Okay. So we've taken it from this, this, this start, um, you know, the initial idea, we've got it built, this, this minimal viable product, we've validated it with a group of people, um, we've started to scale is is that is that essentially the the life cycle here? Have we hit the end of this, um, the this framework that you've you've established, or are there any other additional steps beyond that?
2: That is essentially the life cycle of the business framework. There's some other things that I've included in the book, like uh, productivity tips and. Mm-hmm. Um, things about mindset, and that's just, you know, the, the last stage of this life cycle is really an infinite thing. You're always going to continue sure. evolving the business. You're going to be hiring people to take on specific tasks and, and refining your own mindset, your own systems processes, all of those things.
0: Well, I noticed that, you know, toward the end of the book, too, you have a portion on uh, referencing uh, as far as legal uh, services are concerned. Don't, you know, don't do it yourself. You know, hire Hire legal um, professional um, legal services for establishing certain things. So, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what your positioning is on that. Like, getting say say the idea of at what point do you actually establish your LLC or your your corporation? What and you know at what point do you do you do these things? Is it before you ever start testing your product, or is it after you validate it?
2: Well. I mean, first, obviously, I would like to offer the disclaimer that I am not a lawyer. I never have been, and you should seek a lawyer's advice um, before taking any of mine. However, my personal stance and my experience has been with everything on the logistical side of a business, legal, accounting, all of that framework that goes into the back end, it's better to get the minimum viable product out there and see if, you actually have a potential business before investing thousands of dollars in forming an actual business. Mm -hmm. So I would say the perfect point at which to do that is when you're actually starting to see some revenue. Maybe when you've got through those first hundred calls, you know you're actually going to be turning this into a business. You go out and you form your LLC. You get your agreements drawn up, those sorts of things. You may need some earlier assistance along the way with some specific tasks, and it's okay to reach out to them for that, but don't go for the whole package, I would say until you're really sure that it's going to be worth the investment
0: absolutely, I completely agree so tell me we've we've been through this 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 framework and we've we went from the beginning to the shipping you know it was from start finish to ship. Um, where would you say most people's sticking point is along this process? I mean, I understand there's you know sticking points. Throughout the, the, the entire process, anybody can get stuck at any point. But do you, as far as the clients that you've worked with, as far as the, the entrepreneurs um, that, sh- that you've worked with one on one, what have you noticed has been the most common sticking point um, throughout this, this process?
2: In my experience, almost everyone who approaches me to talk to me and see how I might be able to help them, they're stuck on the initial offering. Uh, they're either not sure what to make for their initial offering or they're not certain of um, of how their initial offering is going to fit into the rest of their business. Maybe they've already created one, but they don't feel it's perfect enough yet. Um, and a lot of it, you know, they get stuck in creating the initial offering, but a lot of it actually comes back to not properly completing the first step and knowing what the outcome is that you're selling in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So... It's kind of a catch-22. They feel that they're stuck in creating this initial offering, but in actual fact, they're still stuck in step one.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense to me. So for them, when you're working with a client like this, you, you bring them back to that first step and you help evaluate. And how often would you say that that changes? Like, they, do they switch? Does it happen a lot that they really shift their entire um, idea around? Is it, like a, is it a large pivot? they change completely or do they just refine it like what's what's the result of that once you get them back thinking in the proper order
2: you know it's actually usually a narrowing is what happens okay. uh, for most people when they're stuck in their initial offering they're not sure what to create or how to get it out there it's because they're trying to go after a really broad general market for fear of not um, not turning anyone down not you know preventing themselves from getting any potential customers, all those sorts of things. And so what will usually happen is I'll work with them to really nail down who it is specifically they want to help and the problem that they specifically want to solve. I've actually had, I think, four of these conversations just this week helping people understand that that's the root of the issue, that their outcome is too broad and too general, and that's the reason they aren't able to effectively create or... Um, or distribute their initial offering.
0: Okay, so you know Ash. Ash, I'm going to butcher his name, but I think it's Ash Mayoria. Mayora, I, I can't pronounce it. Um, author of uh, Running Lean. It's one of my mm. favorite books. Actually, it's in the, the Lean um, Lean series. Uh, there's Lean Startup, and there's there's a bunch of um, new books coming up and popping up. And his is my favorite. And he is, his his uh, philosophy is to actually ask questions to to actually engage with. Um, the customers and ask them their problems first, and then get very clear on the problem, and then develop the solution from that. What are your thoughts on that? Um, that structure, because we had, we were just talking about you know these 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 clients of yours who weren't clear on you know their offer, uh, you know what problem they were really solving. They were being too general. Would you say that's a solution? Then is to actually engage with the clients first and find out what their problems are.
2: Well. You know, there that is a theory that some people prescribe to. And I will say, you know, for some people, it has a lot of merit. For the people that I work with, it's not the approach that I typically take. And the reason for that is that, you know, that you're going to get that feedback from that market a little bit further on down the road once you're actually developing your initial offering, you're putting it out there, and you're seeing if it's viable. But... In the beginning what you really want to focus on is figuring out a result that you would be really passionate and excited about creating for other people. Because that's what's actually going to push you to continue to drive and move forward in building the business. It's going to be that personal passion and drive to create that for others. You know, there's there's a lot of examples out there of people who have gotten into a market just because they believed it might be profitable. And what ended up happening was maybe they made some money with it, maybe they made a lot of money with it, or maybe they made nothing with it. But no matter what happened, they really didn't enjoy any minute of it.
0: And that's not the goal. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I completely agree. And I think that's also a balancing act because there's a lot of things we enjoy that uh, unless you're an outlier, there's not much money to be had. Um, yeah. You know, On right? That, like, I mean, not, not everybody can just drink beer and play video games uh, all day and get paid for it. But I'm sure some people could. I just don't know if yeah. that's, <laughs> Right?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and that's actually, that's the exact premise for the first chapter of the book. Like, you know, not everybody is Tiger Woods. You can't play golf all day and, and have people actually pay you for that. You know, if you're mm-hmm. 80 over par, people are only going to pay to see that once. So... <laughs> It's, it's not necessarily going to work for you, but that's why I actually spend a lot of time busting that myth, the whole um, do what you love and the money will follow. I want to make it perfectly yeah. clear that I am not advocating that at all. That is actually okay. probably yeah. going to set you up for failure more than yeah. it will for success. The reason being, yeah. if you're focused on doing what you love, you have to continue doing it every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> And even people who enjoy something to their very heart, soul, and core probably don't want to do it repetitively every day for the rest of their life. The other reason, of course, is that not everybody's going to pay you for what you want to do, right?
0: Exactly. Great. Well, this has uh, actually been an incredible interview. I want to wrap it up with two things. One is... um, I, if if you could give one piece of advice, I guess, to the person just starting out, I mean, really, that's what you do, um, you know, with your day job anyway, is, is you you know mentor and you coach people, just like the 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 audience members that are listening to this right now, who are entrepreneurs and artists and stuff like that. So, if if you were giving them one piece of advice for this person who's just starting out, this new artist or entrepreneur or writer or whatever it is who's got these passionate ideas, what piece of advice would you give him or her? And then we'll follow that up with where they can actually reach out to you and uh, connect. But, but first, that question, what piece of advice would you give the aspiring entrepreneur, the aspiring artist um, right now if they're starting uh, to, to move towards manifesting their goals?
2: I would say first and foremost, don't let the fear stop you um don't let the fear of failure stop you from putting something out there don't let the fear of having too little potential in a tiny niche market stop you from from really narrowing down and figuring out who you want to help don't let the fear of what people will think stop you from becoming an entrepreneur there's so much fear in this world there's so many fears that come up for us as entrepreneurs you can't let it stop you. There are so many people who have become successful in spite of those fears, and you can be one of them, too, if you just keep moving. You know, it's like Dory says, just keep swimming, just keep swimming.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Excellent piece of advice, and I completely agree. So where can people reach out to you, Cheryl, and connect with you?
2: Well, the easiest way to connect with me is actually just to drop onto my blog, cherylwoodhouse.com, uh, C-H-E-R-Y-L. Uh, Woodhouse, and I have a contact form on there. You can reach out to me. Obviously, I have my blog post that I put on there. You can read, and I do have a copy of my book, Start Something. You can uh, can grab from there. If you want some more details on the book, you can go directly to that site as well. It's startsomethingradiant.com, and you can just enter your name and email. You'll get the book dropped into your inbox, and then every once in a while, I'll drop some neat ideas and helpful hints in your inbox as well
0: perfect well I'm gonna make sure that's all linked up in the show notes so that people can get a hold of you uh, and and I hope they do if, if they're struggling at all because I really think you can help them break through those blocks so Cheryl thank you so much for being on the show with us today I, I had a, such a great time talking to you Oh
2: it was wonderful Tom thanks so much
1: thank you for listening to in the trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.